welcome to Brands in Action, the podcast that asks the questions every brand should be asking. Today, we welcome Dion Hughes, the founder and creative director of Persuasion Arts and Sciences and co-founder of High Bar Incorporated, a plastic-free personal care brand. After a career as an ad agency creative director, Dion founded his creative brand consultancy, Persuasion Arts and Sciences, to use business smarts, strategic insight, and creativity to identify, catalyze, and communicate a business's true reason for being. In its 20 years, Persuasion has contributed to the success of companies like Apple, Best Buy, Ford, Lowe's, Master Foods, and Diageo. In 2018, Persuasion put its skills to the highest test, creating a separate company to help solve the world's plastic pollution crisis, the aforementioned plastic-free personal care brand, High Bar. Dion is a multiple Adweek All-Star creative, has dozens of Effie awards for marketing effectiveness, and is featured in the New York Times bestseller, Decisive, by Chip and Dan Heath. Welcome to the show, Dion. Hey, David. How you doing? Doing fantastic, man. It is so great to have you on here. I've, I'm a, I'm a longtime fanboy of you and your work. I, I feel like we kind of came up in parallel paths in our careers, and I've always, always admired you. And I've wanted to meet you forever. It's, you know, I've been in North Carolina a few times and like tantalizingly close to rally. <laughs> and I'm like, should I just drive over and knock on that guy's door? The answer is yes. You should. <laughs> That's what North Carolina is all about. Yeah. Well, we're going to get to high bar, but I'm always fascinated by creative people who become entrepreneurs and use their entrepreneurial uh, learnings from having their own companies and businesses who start their own brands. And there's an inherent advantage to that that some startup cohorts don't have about what a brand is and all that stuff. I'd love to know what led you to start high bar. Yeah, I can go back a little deeper on that one just about um, if being creative and being an entrepreneur are two different things. I think that. Um, Right. The best creatives are already part entrepreneurial. They've got to discover things that other people haven't seen. They've got to find their way around a system that is often lined up against them. And so there's a little bit of the entrepreneur already. I always wanted to think of myself and what I did when I was a creative in an advertising agency a little bit as a business, you know, thinking of the client's business, right. the idea that, right. you know, I'm in service of. Um, but then also... I've lectured at Miami ad school and so forth. And a part of what I always try to encourage um, young people coming into the business is to think of themselves also as a business that there's value in what they do, incredible value. And rather than have other people make money off you, you make money off you. So that's always been a part of how I've thought all along the way. So that you know went into me starting my own consulting company and then was definitely a, an element in starting high bar talk a little bit about that talk about persuasion arts and sciences and I, you know i'm going to use it as an example of my company it's inevitable that we would create the brands and companies that we've started it's part of the dna of of what we're about talk about what you what you set out to do with persuasion arts and sciences because you're you're still in the ad business you're you're still doing strategy and creative which we all do Yep. Um, but I think you've, you've forged a different path. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, boy, I, th I thought that I would be in advertising as in advertising agencies for my whole career. I loved working inside of them. I love advertising. I love the craft of it. I love the people. But I just got burnt out. I just, you know, I got myself in a little bit over my head in terms of being a creative director at a really great agency, Fallon in Minneapolis. At a time where it was ascendant. Yeah, it was on fire. And um, I was brought in as, you know, the creative directors that they had there at that time had grown up inside of the department. They weren't seen as groomed, trained, well-steeped creative directors. And, and I was already a creative director at an agency in New York. And so I was brought in to be They'll probably hate me saying this, but you know, you, you've already been a creative director, dude. You know how yeah. to do this stuff. So, and I didn't know how to do it any any better than anybody else. Yeah. But you know, those guys, and you know, they're legendary industry guys. If I said their names, you'd know exactly who they were. Yeah. You don't even have to say it. I have a slideshow going in my head. They're all the best people. <laughs> they're the people that I wanted to be. Totally. Yeah. And you know, they had one or two pieces of business, but because I was the professional creative director, I had eleven pieces of business, and right, and they were all out of town. And so I was on a plane constantly. I had brilliant creatives working for me. I had brilliant creative directors above me. I had brilliant account planners and account directors. So I was constantly the dumbest person in the room. Mm. I was always overmatched, uninformed, stretched thin, 
And it was just a, a bad experience for me. So yeah. I spun out of that place and thought about going back to Australia, um, where I'm originally from. Yeah. But this was, you know, late 90s and the freelance business was on fire back then. And I'd hired some freelancers over the years and was largely disappointed in, in the product and the cost. And I thought, well, you know, whilst I'm trying to figure out really what I want to do, why don't I just freelance? And, you know, I came back from a bunch of interviews in Australia, and this is back in the days when you'd have a, a voicemail machine. And my voicemail machine, the word had gotten around that I'd left Fallon. And I had like five or six offers of lucrative freelance yeah. contracts. So I just was like, okay, I'm going to do this for a little while. And I've never been one to just do things as a pastime or a hobby, I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this properly. And if I do it, that means being the best freelancer in the country, whatever that means, being the right. most sought after freelancer. So I was like, okay, I, to do that, I need to find a partner, art director, writer, and we're going to just be ace. We're going to take problems off creative directors' desks. You know, so I, I teamed up with another guy from Fallon, Mark Johnson. Yeah, And um, we just became a super duper freelance team to the point where it was more like we were consulting to agencies. You know, things changed over time, but when we were doing it, we were working with the new business team for big agencies in New York. We were working with the chief creative officer. They were trusting us entirely. They were putting us in the room, presenting to the client, running the final pitch. Yeah, We were rewriting the strategy. And at some point along the way, we were like, you know, it's not the TV commercials and the campaigns that they're buying anymore, although they are buying that. It's more the bridge between the strategy and the and the business winning idea. Which, by the way, most agencies give that away for free. And it's, it is often the IP. The, the creative is part of it, of course, but it's the IP of what agencies do. And it's, uh, it is one of the issues, I think, that's crashed the industry. We give that away. Well, you, you don't get to win... I mean, what was it? We won Burger King and Coca-Cola and a bunch of General Motors business and saved General Motors business for agencies in, in Europe. I mean, we were all over the world. Yeah. You don't win those pieces of business if you don't have an idea that is truly all-encompassing to that business. Right. They're complicated situations, but they have to be made simple. And so that's what we became specialists in. And, and at some point, we're like, maybe we could cut out the middleman here and take these ideas directly to clients or take this way of thinking and this way of working directly to clients. So in 2006, we reformed our, our sort of freelance consulting business where primarily our clients were advertising agencies and we swore yeah. off the advertising agencies and started working directly with clients. If I think about all the sort of the universe of freelancers that I've worked with over time, some of them are businesses. And some of them are freelancers. And that doesn't mean that sometimes one person is a business mm -hmm. and they treat themselves that way. And other freelancers are just sort of at the whims of their freelance. You know, mm -hmm. it sounds like you are the, the former, you're a business. And of course, that turns into a business. And of course, that leads to other businesses. How did this lead to High Bar? Well, I think that you start to think in a broader way about brands and how they represent or are intertwined with the businesses. You have that relationship now with your clients where you're not yeah. just trying to sell an advertising campaign. You're truly thinking holistically about their business and how creativity can serve that business. Right. So, you know, I'd, I'd had a bunch of different ideas over the years. Most of them were terrible. Some of them were kind of interesting and ahead of their time. But, you know, an idea, like yeah. they say, is a job half done. It's yeah. a whole bunch of other stuff that needs to happen to an idea for it to become anything. And um, I was on vacation with my family in Tulum and a house south of Tulum, Mexico. And this is about 2013, 14, somewhere in there. The beach that we're on it was a private beach. So, you know, very fortunate situation for us. Lovely private beach where it was nice and clean. But on either side of that little piece of property, it was plastic as far as the eye could see. Literally from horizon to horizon was plastic on the beach. That's incredible. And the reason our beach was clean is because that there was a caretaker for the property and he'd get up at 4.30 in the morning and rake the beach clean for the tourists. And that's, you know, I was just really disturbed by it. I was aware of the plastic issue, but not viscerally like that. So anyway, I get back to Minneapolis and I'm, We'd done a bit of a number on plastic in our household, mainly 
for small kids and not wanting to expose them to chemicals and so forth in plastic. So we've done a little bit of that stuff, but not to the extent that we needed to. And I'm standing in my shower and looking at all the plastic bottles of stuff that between my wife and I, we had, and I'm like, God, you know, I should just go and this is one place where it doesn't make any sense to have plastic. Why do we have all this stuff? There must be plastic free shampoos. So I, I found one and tried it and it sucked. And I found another one and tried it and it sucked. And I went, yeah. went to my local natural food store and looked at the brands and they all sucked and the product sucked. And, and I just went, well, somebody, this is ridiculous. Somebody should do this. Right. And so I started to wonder what it would take to actually do one myself. I put together in my head a list of people that I knew who might know something about formulation or distribution or building a business. Yeah. So I was at a party one night and um, one of the people on my list was there. He ha happened to be running a bath bomb company, a tiny little, you know, cottage industry bath bomb company. And I said, Oh dude, how's your company going? And he's going, Oh, it's really exciting where we're working with, and he names another name on my list a guy That's who amazing. just recently sold his pet food company and was looking for something else to do. Yeah, we're working with this guy and and we've decided to pivot our brand to get rid of plastic in the bathroom. And I'm like, no shit. I've been thinking about that exact same thing. So we got together. I shared with them my vision of what it would take. And my vision incorporated a lot of the brand aspect yeah, you know, what type of brand would that need to be? What would its ambition be? And that leads to, you know, what formulation, what quality of product it needs to be, et cetera, et cetera. And it was pretty, you know, I'd been thinking about it for about a year. So it was pretty well formed. So we got together and we formulated ourselves until we had something we thought was as good or better than anything else we tried. And when we got to that point, that's when we felt we had a we had a shot at making a business. What do you consider your competition is your competition other plastic free brands or is your competition plastic and, and let, me, let me give one other piece of context to that i know having worked in natural products a number of times that there is a bit of skepticism in the marketplace that the products don't work as well and that there's a trade-off you're trading off well i don't want parabens and i don't want all this stuff so i i'll go with the natural thing but i know it doesn't work as well and i'm a little disappointed Mm -hmm. Has that entered into your competitive set and what you're trying to do? Yeah, absolutely. To answer your first question, our competition is anything in plastic. Mm -hmm. People like to say that we're competing with other solid, you know, plastic-free brands. When, right. when we started, there were not that many. Now right. there are a lot more. But I, I see them more as allies in this movement to get rid of plastic yeah. in this one little part of our lives. You know, we could have formulated a product and put a brand on a shelf that would have been appropriate for natural food stores alone and would have appealed to the people who are hyper aware of environmental issues and very keen and eager to modify their behavior and their purchasing habits. And those people are also more inclined to make compromises in convenience or performance or what you know whatever it is across the you know different product categories but that's not really going to change anything that's not going to change the world there just aren't enough of those people in the world right. unfortunately right. so we have to make a brand and a product that is just as good or better than the plastic bottles that it seeks to replace right from the get-go we wanted clean ingredients so no phthalates sulfates parabens silicons etc cetera, etc cetera. Because that just to us is table stakes of what our what our early audience is going to look for and what emerging audiences are going to require in the future. You know, as much and all as everybody or many people want to save the world or want to make less of an impact, the number one thing, even I mean, most people want to leave their house in the morning looking and feeling good. <laughs> of course. I mean you know, as much as the product must do what it does, the brand itself actually gives you confidence. Yeah, yeah. So, confidence know. is a huge part of everybody's day. It's part of your gestalt as a human. Are you a confident person or not? And having the right products that you feel are doing things for you yeah. are part of that. Yeah. So, you know, our vision is to be, or our dream fantasy, whatever it is, is to be on the shelves of Target and Walmart and CVS and Walgreens and Ulta. And we're not going to get yeah. there by being a niche brand. We have to be a big popular right. brand. And that's not about 
you know, wanting to have a successful business. That's right. about solving the problem that I saw on that beach that vacation. I read a post recently. Someone said, you know, companies that sell you bottled water don't produce water. They produce plastic. Yeah, that's a great so, Right? It's, it's an incredible insight. Yep. And um, these companies that are very big, very well distributed, and some of them actually very committed to sustainability in their supply chains and other things. Some of them are using recyclable plastic, which is a whole other conversation, mm. which doesn't reduce plastic, right? But uh, you mentioned that you don't look at the other competitors in the plastic-free category as competition in a way. We started this company called Take Your Seat, and yeah. it's all about getting black leadership into the boardrooms of America. And we made a, a decision very early on. We said, we have no competition. All we have is coopetition. How can we help anybody that's on the same mission? We, we're not in any way going to try to dominate a market by stopping somebody. We're, we're going to try to help anyone we can. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the Elon Musks of the world, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of controversy there. But one of the things that I do admire about what he did was he said like, hey, here's how to do it. He made it open source. Have you thought about making what you do open source? Have you thought about how to enroll, you know, the makers of Pert Plus into a plastic-free version of that? Like, where do you stand in that? I'm conflicted because I want to have a successful brand. And mm -hmm. I, so I don't want to mail my formulations and, and manufacturing process that, that right. are, by the way, unique to us. And Yeah, nor would I ever advise that. <laughs> Well, I, I tell you, we have thought about it. I mean, you know, we started off with a formula that we got off of Reddit, off of a yeah. shampoo making. So it's not like it's, yeah. you know, I mean, you can go back to the roots of it and, and in, invent your own stuff from there. All brands are ridiculously selfish. They are right. all about themselves. They think they're the only brand that exists in their category and the most important thing in their customers' lives. They are incredibly self-centered. Yeah, everyone's interested in them. Everybody's interested and, you know, th this is my community, et cetera, et cetera. And we all know that that's ridiculous. Couldn't be further from the Couldn't truth. Couldn't be further from the truth. And, and, the, and the privilege that I get from being a cynical ad guy to now being responsible for the brand and the marketing of High Bar is that I bring that cynicism with me. Is it cynicism or skepticism or pragmatism? I don't know. But... Um, it might be all three. Yeah. Be all three. I go, we can't solve this problem. Look at this problem. It's gigantic. It's a, an 80 year old problem to think that little old us, even if we became a multinational brand, it's still not enough to fix it. So we have to be generous in our spirit and help and promote other brands that are in our category or are doing the same sorts of things as we are. We hope to be inspiring therefore to individuals so if this is a product that you, is one of the first products that you use in your day you're showering getting ready for the day then hopefully that little piece of difference that you made right there is an inspiration to how you go out into the world but also us as a brand how we have approached product redesign and packaging and messaging and positioning it can be an inspiration to others if you want to walk into a target and walk down the aisles you will be surrounded by plastic and every single one of those needs to be redesigned. It needs to be rethought. So Target is full of business opportunities right there for new inventors. So I would love for High Bar to one day be, you know, used in a, in a way that we want to be the high bar of potato chips. We want to be the high bar right. of dog food. We want to be the high bar of blah, blah, blah. That's kind of the meaning and movement that we want to create. Do you see yourself as starting a new category or do you see yourself as living within a category in a new way? No, I think we're trying to reinvent the existing category. The liquid shampoo is 80% water, upwards yeah. of 80% water. It's the most expensive bottled water you can buy. And um, you've got water in your shower. There's absolutely no reason that product needs to be liquid and in a plastic bottle. It's an incredible insight, actually. When we started, it was a very weird idea and we were obsessive about reinventing the form to take people's minds off of the idea that they're rubbing a solid product into their hair. But now there are lots of brands and it's becoming, it's certainly not mainstream, but it's starting to poke its head above the horizon and um, being on people's radar. We believe that in 10 years time, this idea won't be the niche that liquid in a plastic bottle will be the niche. It's happening in toothpaste as well. 
right now. Same yeah, time. yeah, exactly. Exactly. You've got moisture in your mouth. You don't need it to be Correct. you don't need it to be uh, a liquid. <laughs> well, you talked about messaging and look and feel, and we're gonna post your site in the show notes of this, but I want everyone to look at this brand. The design is incredible. Thank you. And I'd love for you to even give shouts out to the designer design I will. you worked with. But, yeah. um, I'd love to talk about your messaging and let's talk about your look. Let's start with the look just because we're talking about it. How do you articulate the way your your brand looks? Like if it was a Pinterest board, what would you call it? The brands that I saw and I did a full audit of all brands in the hair care, shampoo, et cetera. And I broke them down into, there are brands that are by famous stylists. There are brands right. that are all about an ingredient. There are brands that are all about, there's something wrong with you. But I didn't see any brands that were about optimism and yeah. excitement and life. And I felt in the context of where we are as a culture right now, so you know, I'm thinking about this from like 2015 to now, it's just a very pessimistic time. I grew up in the 60s in Australia. Right. I never had anything other than optimism and possibility in front of me. It's not like I had a super privileged upbringing, but I didn't have all of these existential threats hanging over my head. Right. And I'm like, well, that, you know, there's a place now an opportunity in brands in this particular category to express something positive about the future, especially when I think about young people, which is our core audience of, you know, 18 to 30 year old um, women. The other thing is that went into the design was, well, um, everybody we spoke to in the early days was worried that this was not going to be great for their hair that we maybe should aim it at men, that men don't care and they'll use this as an all over body bar, et cetera, et cetera, right. and they won't be so demanding. And I'm like, no, we're never ever gonna get anywhere if we aim this at dudes. I mean, we're not gonna change the world. Right. They're not the gatekeepers for a beauty product. They are absolutely not. So we need to create a brand image that promises performance and beauty. The most money we put, and we, all, we, we self-invested in this, the most money we put into was formulation, but a close second was the design. Yeah. Product design, packaging design, brand design. So I hired um, Werner Design Works, which is a, a, a really great, um, you're probably familiar with them, really great yep. packaging Indeed. design company across the river in St. Paul as our partners. And um, you know, we just really thought from the ground up about what this product should be. Yeah, the packaging design is brilliant. It's very purposeful. We're looking at other solid products on the shelf and they tend to lie flat and get stacked up so they don't have a very good billboard. They get stored in a different part of the store. We wanted something that sat right next to the plastic bottles so that shoppers would have a clear choice yeah. between his plastic, his not plastic. Here's what I love about it. I, I, I don't know if this was intentional, but I'm assuming it was. There's a form factor to your stuff that mimics a bottle in its sort of oval shape, it, yet it has ang it's angular. And um, I, I wondered how purposeful that was. Super purposeful. We spent so much time on this, David. It was insane. It was, I mean, you know, this is the part where I think it's one of the beautiful things about applied creativity where you go, you know, normally you and I would be thinking of brands and campaigns and images and words and video and thinking in those ways. But now, right, right. now I'm thinking about a three-dimensional object and how can that three-dimensional object perform and solve a bunch of problems. So, okay, we want this to not be soap. Everybody understands, or many people understand, that rubbing a bar of soap into your hair is not very good for your hair. So let's not have a square. Right. Right? In the early days, we were thinking we would maybe keep this in some kind of a drainable, aerating tin that you would keep in the shower right. that we could carry right. the brand. It was important to me as a brand guy to go, we need to remind that person of what product they're using so that the, the, the benefits of the brand, the, the ethereal benefits of the brand, optimism, et cetera, can just have a slight imprint on their brain as they're using the product. So it was important to have a brand in the shower. Um, but all of our experiments with the, with the tin ended up making a mushy product and it just mm. wasn't for it. So we're like, we had to, we worked on that for ages and we realized, oh man, we just got to have this thing sitting out so it can dry off. And so then yeah. it's like, okay, well the, the bar itself needs to carry a brand message of some sort. It needs to be something. It can't be a generic brick or a block or right. a disc. Right. 
we were worried that a product like this would be very slippery. So we wanted to make something that was easy to hold, pleasurable to hold. I remember I was, I was um, at a party and I was talking to a woman who'd worked at Aveda for many years. Yeah. You go to a lot of parties. I can't. <laughs> I have all my best ideas at parties. Yeah, yeah. Don't we all? Well, you got to know. I mean, when you're when you're on something like this, I mean, it's an obsession. I mean, I didn't I didn't think or talk about anything else for like four years. No, you're never not thinking about it. So, ever. so oddly yeah. enough, you know, I, I, is there a correlation? I started to get invited to less and less parties over the years. Anyway, <laughs> but, but let me on that point. On that point, I, I think what happens when you are intentional like that it actually attracts these kinds of conversations it's like looking for a car you you if you're interested in an audi you start seeing audis everywhere right yeah, yeah they've always been there you just didn't see them and i do think that is a really important thing for people listening here that want to start up and things that is what happens your intention drives your interactions and who you actually meet it actually it, it happens that way because you might have met those people at another party but you didn't have that you didn't have that intention in front of you and so you didn't you didn't go there with them it, it is so true. I, I can tell another story. So I'll just finish that one. I was, t I was talking yeah. to this um, uh, woman who'd worked at Aveda for many years. I was struggling with the shape and um, I was talking about it. And there's a, a guy kind of off and I can tell that he's listening to me. He's not in the conversation, but he's kind of eavesdropping. After my conversation finishes with this lady, he comes over. He like stares deep into me and he says, you're absolutely right about how a solid product in your hand can communicate many sensual and brand ideas. You can, you can make it prickly, you can make it smooth, you can communicate a lot through touch. And he, yeah. was, he was either hitting on me or he was, <laughs> he, and it turns out he was the guy's, the lady's husband and he's an architect, a well-known architect. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah. it just was like one of those things where I'm like, yes, we're on the right path. So yeah. I'm cooking dinner one night and my wife is sitting at the, counter and she'd made hundreds of models she's not a industrial designer product designer at yeah. all but she took it on as a, as a as a fun project and i've got the fry pan going and she says what about this and i turned around and she's sitting at the counter and she had the exact the, the shape that you see right now she had it in her mm -hmm. hand and i went holy shit that's it don't check that is absolutely it. it just came out of the blue that's incredible. It's designed to sit up high, be beautiful, easy to hold. The beveled edge on the top there suggests how to apply it. It's very distinctive. It's become all the other products in the category. Most of them are pretty generic shaped. Ours is extremely distinctive. Yeah. So I feel like they're always balls or they're, or they're bars. Yeah. Know? I mean, there's a few new ones coming on now yeah. that they've caught on to our trick with the shape. But your design, A, it does say optimism. The Even the color palette is optimism. but I feel like you've you've created a, a design aesthetic that you want to be you want to see it in your bathroom. It's a design that fits into your bathroom in a way that makes your bathroom look better. And I think Method had the same insight. Method had an insight of why does all why does soap look like crap? Like you want things that look good. You want things that look good in your life. It's funny you say that. I had never actually thought about that implication. I actually got that from customers. People would write in and, and in the early days I did all the community management. I did all the responses on social media and I, and I, of course you did. You know what? I mean, I'm the la I'm a kind of a cranky guy. I'm the last person you would ever want in charge of customer relations, but I absolutely loved it because I learned so much from people, what they were responding to. I've had a very similar, yeah, very similar experience. Yeah being a cranky guy, having being forced into customer service. Yes, exactly. I still am. I mean, I, you know, if I'm at the brewery, I consider myself to be a customer relations person. And I'm, when I see people on the lawn having a, a, any kind of experience that they're not happy, I try to go solve it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And you just do because I own it's my the Ponysaurus Brewing is my company and I'm a co-founder and I consider myself to be like accountable yeah you know yeah and, everything. and you've done a great job of imbuing that with with an optimistic generous spirit as well i mean i think that yeah, you're in you. a in a in a different way you're tapping into that same feeling yeah thank you it's all very intentional so yeah the sort of zen feeling of the product in your shower and the absence of bottle designs yelling things at you it's interesting to sort of strip that away and just have peace and quiet and a compact product in your shower. I really love that. I love that sort of notion that like you're going to wash away if it bleeds, it leads. Yeah. And, and you think about like you do start your day in the shower, right? So yeah. 
And so if you're going to start your day in the shower or the bath, why not get a, why not get a dose of positivity and a smile at the beginning? That's really brilliant. I love that. It sort of now intuitively makes sense, having seen what you've done and how you guys speak and, and the, the way you approach things. What are your biggest challenges right now? Like th- this feels like such a winner, Dion. It really does. Like, what are your challenges? What's the thing that you, you know, what's the next windmill, uh, you know, that you want to tilt against? There's a lot of plastic in the world and there's a lot of plastic even within three foot radius of your shower head. So there's a lot of opportunity there or a lot of problems to solve. Maybe those are the two same things. In terms of challenge, though, I think it's just managing a growing business. Yeah. You know, when we started, we we sold our first bar in October 2018 off of our website. And we, in those days, thought that it would take us forever to find distribution. And so we had all sorts of crafty ways of finding distribution. We were, let's talk to hotels, let's talk to salons and spas and yoga studios, and let's talk to airlines. And we had all sorts of crazy ideas. And right. I mean, I got to say, we just, we were very lucky. We, as soon as that brand was out there, you know, it just said that we, we had predicted the need quite well because we got interest straight away from a fairly prominent retailer we couldn't believe it we're high-fiving we got the contract and in the contract they specified that we needed to ship to their distribution center in plastic and we we said we can't do this we have to pull out of this contract i'm sorry and they were what well why we said well because you've got this thing in here about plastic and they're like oh let's think about that that is yeah so they came back to us they actually created a solution for us which that's amazing (laughs) super gratifying that's what a brand is, by the way. And what a brand is, is a set of behaviors based on a set of values. And so you can make decisions. We all do all the time about like, well, does this fit the values or not? And then you make a business decision. Yeah. And of course, you know, the naysayers want to kill you for the times that you, you know, have to supersede your values. But what I find, and we do it all the time, is your values actually help you make the right decision and often end up changing the distribution centers. Yeah. People really got on Burt's Bees when they sold the Clorox. And what actually happened was it gave Burt's Bees a distribution partner. The electric shock went the other way and actually helped Clorox become more, more sustainable. Yeah. That's what happens with really strong brands. And, it, and, I, and I think it's the difference between a brand, in a, a brand that lives in a company or a brand that is a company. And you know there are companies with tons of brands that the brands may have an ethos, but the actual over, overarching holding company doesn't. And I think it's one of the strengths of a company like yours that it is the brand and it is you, by the way, you know, it's you and your partners. Yeah. And we're all a hundred percent aligned on it and very dedicated to the ingredient integrity, pushing forward the science. I mean, PS, you think about the competition to provide ingredients for the hundreds of thousands of brands that are liquid versus the competition to create ingredients for solid formulations. Yeah. There's not that much science on our side of the business. So, right, right. you know, we, we expect that as we and other um, products like ours become more successful, that there'll be more competition for those ingredients and that the science inside of those ingredients will get better and better. How do you prove that? So, you know, I do know one thing with hair care, people have very strong affiliations with the product that they like. They even sometimes imbue it with magical powers that it doesn't have. How do you go up against really entrenched beliefs about liquid products with specific ingredients? How do you how do you manage that in your space? Well, first of all, our products are really high performing salon quality products with yeah. a very very high level of performance on all of the ingredients. We don't have sulfates in our products, so they're color right. they're color safe. One thing I should mention is that there are brands on the shelf that are say shampoo on the front, but are actually chemically soaked. Many people have tried a solid formulation in the past and been very disappointed in it, and that's because it was right. probably soaked. So when we, when I mentioned before, we started with a recipe off of Reddit, and then we plussed it up ourselves and got it to a place. And we talked also before about the generosity of community and the serendipity of putting your idea out into the ether to see what happens. Right. I networked my way to a chemist who had worked at Aveda for many, many years um, and had left with Horst to start Intelligent Nutrients. And she had since left that company and was a, a contractor chemist. I called her and I, I told her, I networked my way to her and 
called her and told her what we were doing. And she said, well, I don't think that that's chemically possible. I don't think that that's going to happen. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, the product we've got, we think is better than anything else we've tried. So why don't I send it to you and see what you think? So I sent it to her. She lives in Minnesota. She tried it. She liked it. She's like, it's a lot better than I thought it would be. So we brought her on board to provide, to apply her Aveda intelligent nutrient chemistry smarts to yeah. plus up our formula and then to build out the line. So it's a damn good product. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and then after that, the proof is in the, in, in the pudding, isn't it? I mean, people try it and they either love they it. They will or never they use it again. Yeah. yeah. They'll never use it again if it doesn't work. Yeah, correct. So, and the more people use it, the more people use it. It's that, it starts to become kind of like, okay, it's not such a weird thing anymore. It's something, maybe it's not for me, but it's not weird anymore. Oh, they seem to have really nice hair. What product? Oh, you use that stuff? Cool. I might give that a go. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. This is super wonky because I've been in the space many times mm -hmm. with shampoo. A lot of people equate lathering with effectiveness, mm -hmm. efficaciousness, as they would say. Yep. Especially without sulfates. How do you deal with that? Does your, does your product lather? It lathers great. And, yeah. But as you know, the lathering is more of a reassuring effect than it is actually a cleaning effect. Oh, it has nothing. To, that's my point. Yeah. It has nothing to do with it. Yeah. But, it's, but, it, but people perceive a natural product that doesn't lather as being ineffective. Yeah. I mean, th this goes back to having a shower and washing your hair is a pleasurable and right. meditative experience. Right. It wants to feel good. It wants to smell good. And it needs to feel good in your hair. And when you get out of the shower, your hair needs to feel good as well as look good. So if lathering is a part of that pleasurable experience, we need to provide that. Yeah. The fragrance, it's an essential oil fragrance. It's a really beautiful, refreshing, again, built on the brief of optimism about something that, that is bright and sunny that you can walk out into the day feeling good about. Right. But of course, sulfates are what creates a really amazingly huge lather, right? You have to find a way around it, you know? Well, I'm going to send you some product. I will use it. You, sure. Yeah. And you've got some locks on you. You can try it. You, <laughs> and you can report back to me on how well it lathers okay. for you, my dear man. Hey, man, grow it, grow it if you got it. That's what I'd say. I've seen you. you you've got your hairline is not receded at all. Let's go forward 10 years. You're a huge multi-conglomerate now. You've, you're massively successful. You've hired an ad agency. What kind of client would you be? Uh, I think that I would be, well, I want to think I'd be a great client. I would be a client, though, who would see through the bullshit. I would be a pretty demanding client. I know the difference between really good and mailing it in or indulgent. Yeah. I, yeah. I know I totally yeah. know the difference. I mean a creative I'm a creative director and I've seen a million ideas and I know the difference. Yeah. I've had agencies present to me, not advertising agencies, but different type, you know, social media agencies and so forth. And I, you know, I always respond strongest to the bravest ideas. Yeah. Um and and we as a, a the the four owners of the company Likewise, we're very much attuned to knowing that right now we're small and one way we can stand out is by looking for bold, brave ideas. So yeah. I think I'd be a pretty damn good client. I'm very patient with the process of creativity. Yeah, because you know. And when I find that, you know, my, the creative folks that I've worked with over the last four or five years that are still working with me, I really, really trust them. And I, I ask them their opinion on a lot of stuff and yeah. I may not I may not agree but I need I need to have those kind of guardrails around me and know whether if, if I'm going to disagree with somebody I who's really smart and talented and that I respect I'm going to have to have a very good reason to disagree with them yeah I always say you know if you're not a little bit scared you got to be a little bit scared yeah for some reason not if you're scared because you're going to alienate your customer base, then yeah, maybe don't do that. Yeah. But if you're just a little bit nervous, that's where you should always lean into. You have to, that's where the opportunity is 99.9% .9 of the time. Absolutely. I will say, you know, as, as a sort of client and agency guy, I always say I'm like the hair club for men. I'm a president, but I'm also a client. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time somebody in my agency brought me an idea for the brewery that I said, that is incredibly cool, but I don't need it. And we can't afford it. Yeah. They understood, of course, but it was like, this is what clients go through all the time from agencies, where agencies bring up stuff they don't need that they can't afford. Oh, yeah. Owning your own business is a really great 
way to see start to see that even in your own behavior as an agency to go don't do that like there's one thing to bring like opportunistic ideas you should be doing that yeah but there's very much another it should be solving a problem and not just be indulgent yeah yeah and that's what i hope and i I imagine it's the same for you is it's one thing to be even a really good advertising creative it's a whole other thing to think about advertising in general which is a whole other thing to marketing which is a whole other thing to business right. yeah they're they're different they're things. all ne- they're all nested inside of each other but um so i still got my consulting company persuasion yeah. and yeah. what i i think is true is that i have a completely i used to say that i understand business that's what i i used to say to clients yeah. oh i yeah. i totally understand business i'm a business person i've had my consulting yeah. company for x years and i've done yeah. i've won these effies and i've done you know i you know these are my clients from i can't totally get you guys oh man what bullshit I, <laughs> total bullshit now i get yeah. i mean i get it a lot more than i used to it's like yeah. so complicated and oh until you've looked at a pnl you don't understand that yeah much. and so you know i've i've had you know, really great people come to me who believe in the brand, who know me and like me. And they're like, Oh, Dion, we want to, we want to do this thing for you. We want to, you know, our whole um, company is at your disposal and we'll do it at cost. And we want to create some, something really famous, like a really famous piece of film. And I go, well, you can, but I can't use it. I don't have a media budget that can do anything with that. So I think what you would end up doing is it, you would just it would just be a waste of time and effort and call me in two years time when I can afford that stuff. Yeah, that's amazing. Where can people find you? How, how can people get to you? HelloHighBar.com is our website. We still sell a ton of product off there. We are reluctantly on Amazon as well, if you care to go there, but just know that we've got a bunch of resellers that we're trying to right. deal with. Um, so you, if you want your high bar delivered plastic free, look to make sure that you're buying it sold by ships from high bar to finish off the question from earlier about you know we sold our first bar in october 2018 didn't know if we'd get distribution etc we're now in 4,000 stores across the us so it's really a national brand that's incredible whole foods sprouts kroger's i'll tell you what we'll do we'll put a uh, we'll put a how to find you link in the show notes okay okay yeah our store locator is good on the on the website. So. How can clients find you at Persuasion? Um, PersuasionUSA.com. I still do consulting projects. They tend to be very much upstream. And it's the piece that I'm I'm really interested in is helping companies rediscover the reason they're in business. And yeah. so it's a little bit purpose-based, but it's more about what is it that we're really doing? Uh, you know, we're making money, but how are we making money? And I like to say that in my advertising life that any idea that I have or my company has is not the big idea. The big idea is actually the one that the business is built on that employs all those people and pays all the rent for all the buildings that they're in, et cetera, et cetera. That's the big idea. Anything that we do is in service of that idea. Well, it's interesting that you say that because 100% of the clients that we talk to and that we deal with, I say this constantly, which is they, they come and say like, we just, we're not sure how to articulate what we're about or what we're doing or what the brand is. And I go, I guarantee you 100% it lives in your building. It's yeah. already there. there yep. we're, if we're making it up, we're actually probably screwing it up. Mark and I had an experience way back. We were um, called in to pitch Twix. Mm. And I worked for a very savvy Australian creative business man named Chris Clark. Mm-hmm. He had a relationship with the Mars brothers. And um, he at the time, the, the business was at, gray in new york and they were very ponderous overthought etc etc and he had this very kind of um you know fly in by night kind of approach he's like we're going to rent hotel rooms at the hotel down the street in um i can't remember where 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 their headquarters is is in new New jersey somewhere and we're going to spend two weeks we're going to be in your office every day and we're going to solve it in two weeks if you like what you see you hire us if you don't the whole thing's free. Mm-hmm. And so we would be in there every day. And there was this research person who just had the body language of somebody who'd been ignored by all of her advertising agencies and maybe even people inside of Master Foods. Right. And we're like, so, you know, who, you know, what sort of research have you got? What sort of, and she's like trundles off to her office and comes back with an armload 
of these ring binders going back 10 years of research that she'd done and then shelved because nobody would use the stuff. Right. And we went through it and found the answer. And from that, I've always said something very similar to what you just said, which is the truth is in the building. It right. is in there somewhere. You just need somebody outside of the building to identify that truth. Yeah. And so many times it's what the original idea was. The, the original reason the brand or the business started. It's yeah, just maybe always- maybe recontextualize for now. Yeah. And you think about now when people are, you know, not at the office and they say that culture eats strategy, right? That um, right. how do you maintain that culture when people are so far away from each other? Even before COVID, people had a difficult time being energized by the purpose of the company, the meaning of the company, and even more of a problem now. I have one last, last thing that I, that I wanted to ask you about. You used the word purpose, and I, I think we're, in the industry, we're sort of at peak purpose right now, and I'm a huge believer in it when used correctly, and I'm a huge detractor of it when not used correctly. And I mean, I wrote a book about it, and uh, I, I do think it is, in the most cynical sort of Byron Sharpian way of brand loyalty doesn't exist other than distribute, through distribution and double jeopardy and all that stuff, in the most cynical way, it's a great way to drive awareness. However, how does that live in your company? And, and um, it seems like when I hear you talk about persuasion and hear you talk about Highbar, that it's very much a purpose-based brand. How do you think about it? It's a messy subject, and I do think that it gets misused or is used in inappropriate ways oftentimes, where it doesn't really have much to do with the underlying business or brand or product. Highbar has the privilege of really being the purpose of the brand is the business of the brand. And that's what that is. So I don't have to make anything up. Yeah, it's inter, it's interlinked. Yeah, sure. I'm I'm always like I for whatever reason in my head I always pick on Trisket. You know, what's Trisket's purpose? What what do you do with that? You know, if if every food brand is dedicated to solving world hunger or food deserts or something, I suppose what would happen is that those problems would get solved. That would be a good thing, right? Right. To me it's more like if there is a purpose that lines up with selling the product and creating a stronger brand and a, a, a more relevant presence with your intended audience, then great. But if it's a stretch yeah. and a disconnect, I, to me, it just looks pathetic. And, and, and Yeah, it's not purpose, to be honest with you. Pathetic at best and cynical at worst. Yeah. So that's why on the persuasion side of things, when I, when I think about purpose, I think about what is it that is special about your company. So we're working with a with a as a super arcane, very successful Twin Cities business. It's a B two B business, but they've got a very particular niche or a position in yeah. their category, and a very particular way of seeing their culture that they've never really been able to articulate. I mean, they'll say things like, "Rule number one is no assholes," and right. you know, but it's not a very this might be true and might sound cool when you say it, but it's not a very inspiring statement. So right. how do you reformulate this really super complex arcane business into something that is electric, you know, something that, that people can look at and go, my God, that's true. That's it. Yeah. absolutely us. One of my favorite experiences was when we um, worked with Lowe's. We worked with Lowe's for a very long time across the building. We did advertising for them. We did private label. We did corporate strategy. We did internal communication, a whole bunch of stuff. One of the things we were hired to do was to rewrite their mission statement. And their mission statement at that time is, you know, a a 150 word long (laughs) mission paragraph, a mission paragraph that was in a horrible typeface in brushed aluminum, plastered all over their very gorgeous corporate campus in Mooresville, North Carolina. And we spent a lot of time researching, worked with um, Roundpeg, a brand consulting company in yep. here in town, and boiled it down to one statement, help people love where they live. And we just put it in front of them. I mean, there was a presentation, but as soon as they saw those words, and we're, we're presenting to the CEO and the COO and people who've spent their entire careers at Lowe's, it was like pouring water onto a desert floor. It just was like they soaked it up immediately and adopted it immediately and we we were in the building so it was intended to change how they behaved across the business who they hired how they'd source you know how they'd communicate what their stores would be like how they'd compete how they'd price 
everything. And we were in their corporate office visiting on a Wednesday. And I want to say Wednesday is a particular reason. It's a very buttoned up corporate culture there. You know, there's pretty strict dress rules and so forth. And we're in an elevator and I'm a woman gets in, she has a skirt on and I look down at her feet and she's got open toed sandals. And I said, Oh, you've got open toed shoes there. That's, that's cool. She's oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The we're, we're changing because this would have been verboten in the old days. Like, you know, maybe, right. maybe casual Friday, the last Friday of every month, you <laughs> might get away with bearing your toes bravely at, at Lowe's. Yeah. And she said, oh, yes, yes, we're, I don't know if you've heard about this um, help people love where they live, but now we're moving into help people love where they work. And we're, we're trying to roll that out through the, the corporate culture here. And I'm like, wow, I just it, you know, nodded to myself That's going, incredible. you are wearing those shoes because of something I wrote four years ago. But isn't that better than any award? I think so. Better than any award. I, I, I agree. I, I feel like that's one of the things that I love about purpose. We, we talk about it a lot as kind of capital P, lowercase p. Capital P is Ben and Jerry's, peace, love, and ice cream. But there's a lot of lowercase p purpose that's fantastic. And it's make people love their house. Like, what better purpose could you have as a company like Lowe's? Yeah. You know? and, and, um, so, but, but it starts to affect the culture. And it infects the culture in, mm -hmm. a, in a good way. And, and uh, I love that. I think that's fantastic. You know, what a pleasure to have you on on the show, Dion. Uh, remain a fan. Um, this makes me love you even more. Uh, so, well, I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I have we, to say, yeah, I have to say that uh, you were one of the inspirations. I got to say, when I was thinking about doing this, I'm like, well, David Baldwin started that brewery. He he went and put his his money where his mouth is and put his expertise into this thing. If you know, and uh, I don't know if you know John Legey, he, um, he started Greenport Brewing up on Long yeah. Island. Same thing, yeah. advertising, creative background, and went and, okay, let's make a business. So you were, you were I'm not bullshitting you, one of, the, one of the inspirations for me doing this. Oh, that's incredibly kind. Well, I think there's a bunch of us out there doing it. And um, we're all creating really interesting brands, you know, and we're, and we're putting our money where our mouth is. But we're, from what I from what I've seen, a lot of us are actually growing really vital businesses, you know, and, and uh, that are important businesses. Yeah. And, and I, I really love that. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for being on. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for inviting me. This has been another episode of Brands in Action. Many thanks to our guest, Dion Hughes. Today's show has been brought to you by Pony Source Brewing, the beer that reminds you, don't forget your keys. They're hanging over on the thing. Pony Source Brewing, drink about it. If you're digging the show, please give us a review and a like. It really does make a difference. Production help by Nathan Nichols. Editing by Sarah Voorhees-Wendell. Executive production by Alexa Tesoriero. And music by Medium Heat. All other help from your friendly neighborhood Baldwin Avenue.